the hold of Mesco. Good snap, good hold. And the kick is blocked. Appalachian State has stunned the college football world. One of the greatest upsets in sports history. The pitch. Swing a long one. We are going to game number seven. A game-winning home run. Pino steps into it. Pass is Welcome to The Score. Here's your host, Brett Wiseman. Welcome to The Score with Brett Wiseman here on Tobacco Road Sports Radio, TobaccoRoadSportsRadio.com. Brett Wiseman, joined by AP voter and, well, actually, he's Duke beat writer before AP poll voter, but he, he th- those are both in his title. It, it's Steve Wiseman, who is preparing to go to one of the finest establishments uh, in the tri-state area, which you will find college football, which is East Hartford, Connecticut, where the 18th-ranked Duke Blue Devils will battle the Yukon Huskies. Steve, are you looking forward to crossing the once-future home of the New England Patriots off your list? (laughs) Yes, Pratt and Whitney Stadium in East Hartford. Smile when you say it, East Hartford, Connecticut. Um, yeah, it'll be it'll be something. And uh, you know, Duke's a three touchdown favorite almost. Uh, which what world are we living in, right? So yeah. hey, um, the Huskies are winless, and uh, Duke has taken care of business. Like all sixteen games under Mike Elko, uh, they're twelve and four, and all four losses have been by uh, eight points or less. So I don't expect them to stumble. You know, stub their toes. I think they'll take care of business. So you you see Duke and UConn on a, on a score sheet or a, or a score ticker, and you're asking what time tip off is. Usually, yeah. this is not yeah. usually a marquee football matchup. Granted, UConn is coming into this zero and three, but it's a UConn team that made a bowl game last year. This isn't a slouchy bunch. They they did, and they um, you know they played NC State pretty tough in the opener. They lost by. I think it was 24 to 14. They played pretty good defense. Um, they lost their starting quarterback in week two, and they've played, they've played kind of poorly the last two. But there are parts of their d- team that are probably better than Northwestern that, that Duke beat last week, given all that's going on at Northwestern. So, um, you know, this this is the challenges FBS team. They're playing on the road. And, and next week is uh, Notre Dame coming to town and possibly game day and all that business. So, uh, trap game, anyone? Um but again, uh, Elko has proven to be able to get his teams ready to, to not, you know, overlook anybody and to take care of their business. So again, we'll, uh, we'll I would anticipate to doing that, but they have to go out and actually do it. So plus, you it's going to be a tropical storm. I'm sorry, it's the rain is supposed to be crazy. So oh, that's right. Yeah, there's up there on that coast. But yeah, you beat yeah. me to the to my next question, which was. You know what? What the chance would be that Duke could fall victim to this being a a trap game where they could be looking ahead? You could say Florida State uh, fell into that boat last week where uh, they had to get up early for a noon kick and then decided to take an afternoon nap in the fourth quarter. Uh, gave up thirteen unanswered points, still somehow won the game if it wasn't for a 
costly face mask penalty on Boston College, uh, that really, I, I still think that if you look at where that happened at that point of that ball game, uh, BC had a timeout left. They would have gotten the ball back with like minute 20 to go, I think. They would have been able to get into not just field goal range, close enough field goal range for BC's kicker, which is about max 35 yards. They could have gotten there, but they had the face max penalty, automatic first down. They got to burn the timeout on first down. Boom, game over. They may have been looking ahead to Clemson. So now Duke's got to try and avoid the looking ahead to Notre Dame. Right. And uh, this is the last, well, I shouldn't say the last non-conference game because Notre Dame's non-conference still. Technically. Uh, but, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but it's, you know, it's the first road trip and they're playing, you know, they're playing a winless team, right? So that's going to be difficult to, you know, as a coach, you look at, you know, they, the kids can look, they can watch the film, they can see this team hasn't won a game. Like, you know, uh, you know we should be able to go in there and, and handle this. And uh, But, uh, they're gonna have to again. They're gonna have to do it. I think their running game is strong enough. They played. They've been a, a really good running team. They're like first in the country in rushing touchdowns with twelve in three games. So they're they're able to impose their will so far on other teams. And I would expect them to be able to do that against UConn. And then, especially with the weather going to be sloppy, uh, you just have to make sure you, you hang on to the ball because uh, the turnovers can make the difference. And if they want to have game day come the following week. They have to play well against UConn. They can't. They can't play poorly. You, you, you can't lay an egg in this game, especially if you no. want College Game Day to show up. Uh, That's right. We know that the last time that someone was not supposed to lay an egg for College Game Day to show up was uh, Texas A and M, and then they got beat by Appalachian State. And then Game Day decided we're not just moving Game Day from you. We're moving Game Day to who beat you, which right. was like the ultimate slap in the face. But this week, game day is at Notre Dame for this Ohio State-Notre Dame game. We'll get to like the a ton of AP ranked versus ranked matchups. A lot of them. We'll break them down in a second. But before we do, let's stay in the ACC real quick. Uh, Georgia Tech-Wake. I don't want to say trap game for Wake either, but it's a later kickoff. It's a home game. It's family weekend at Wake Forest. This is a Georgia Tech team that yeah, it's like bottom five in the league, but it's not unlike that team to sneak up on people. Ask Florida State a few years ago on that blocked field goal. Georgia and, Tech and can pull something off. Yes, if, if you remember in the opener, they played Louisville. It was a Friday night game, I think. And yep. They scored 28 points in second quarter, and they had the lead, and they let it get away, and Louisville won. But the point is, that wasn't easy for Louisville, right? We, right. You're playing a team that's picked that low in, in the league, you think it'd be kind of a walkover. So, uh, George Tech beat Duke last year in this uh, first home game after after Brent Key took over as interim coach, which helped get him the permanent head coaching job. Right, so they they have some some fight under him. They they they, they have some bite, and it's uh, they're showing it. So this will um, Wake's going to have to you know to be awake and and, uh, and take care of things there. And that was a Wake team last week that for for their first road game of the season. It didn't look like they were very comfortable playing on the road. They were down 24, 17 to nothing at halftime, 24 to 7 going into the fourth quarter. Every time Mitch Griffiths dropped back, there were three blue shirts and white helmets in his face. And in the fourth quarter, they finally woke up, but it, it took three and a half quarters to wake up against Old Dominion. So I know Dave Clawson is hoping, obviously, that that was their, 
that was their stumble. <laughs> uh, just like uh, Mike Norville at, uh, at Florida State's hoping the same thing, right? That last week was their stumble, and they'll they'll be back on their on their game the rest of the year. So, yeah, Wake. You know, this isn't a game they can lose. You know, if they if they want to do the things that they they hope to. And who knows if they put up a good enough performance? I I, I don't know if they'll garner votes uh, in the AP poll, but they they may start to turn the conversation towards uh, folks like you and others, maybe at least looking at them in the coming weeks. Uh, Clemson still unranked Uh, Florida state. We'll see if the noon kick was just a fluke thing for them. Uh, But they got another one against the Clemson team that we have said, there's some cracks in the armor of it. They're two and one granted. Both of their wins have not come against great competition. Their one loss is in the ACC. This is an ACC game. This is also a Florida State team that if they want to do the things they're talking about doing, they've got to go knock the head off the giant that has been on top of this conference. And do it on that team's home field, right? Uh, in Death Valley. So uh, this, is a, this is a separation game right here. This is going to establish a lot for both teams. If, if Clemson wins... Okay, they're not dead in the conference race. They have uh, all their goals are ahead of them. They can still do it. They'd have to win out probably. But if they beat Florida State, then they should be expected to win out. I don't see it happening, but, you know, spoiler alert there. But right. um, Florida State, if they want to be in the, in the playoff conversation, which they are now, they want to stay in it, they have to go in there and handle Clemson. And that'll, that'll push Clemson. If Florida State wins – That'll push Clemson firmly into that second tier where, you know, they're, they're not a playoff contender. They're going to be lucky to, not to really work hard to even try to get back in the ACC championship race with two conference losses, 0-2, right? So uh, this that's what this, this game means so much uh, in, in both the national and, and conference conversations. So as we look at the national landscape, there's, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six. Count them six. Ranked versus ranked matchups on Saturday. You ready, Steve? 19 Colorado at 10th ranked Oregon, 330. 22 UCLA at 11 Utah, 330. 15 Old Miss at 13 Alabama, 330. Three games, half of that schedule is just in the 330 window. Uh, oh, we're not done. 14th ranked Oregon State at 21st ranked Washington State, uh, also known as the Pac-2. Uh, that is 7 o'clock kickoff. Uh, of course, the Biggins, 6th-ranked Ohio State, 9th-ranked Notre Dame, 730. 24th-ranked Iowa, 7th-ranked Penn State, 730. Wide-out conditions in Happy Valley. Oh, my goodness, there is not enough popcorn on the planet for me on this Saturday. When I get home at 5 o'clock Saturday afternoon after I'm done with my Saturday obligations with Western Kentucky and Troy, oh, boy, the, the popcorn will Good be stuff. cooking. Because that, that Ohio State-Notre Dame game is the one that everybody is circling. Not that there's not other good ones on that list. That uh, Colorado-Oregon game is going to pretty much, I think, determine a lot for the what is left of the Pac-12 or the final season. Still the Pac-12 this year, yes. It is still the Pac-12 as of right now. So (laughs) the final season of the Pac-12. That next game determines the Pac-2. And then, of course, you have Ohio State, who didn't really look vulnerable against Western Kentucky. They went out and took care of business. Uh, this is also going to be the first real test for Ohio State. Notre Dame also really hasn't played anybody either. So neither of these two teams have played top-level competition as of yet. Uh, 
uh, I would say Ohio State played a better opponent in Western Kentucky than who Notre Dame has played to this point um, combined. Uh, but right. Sam Hartman, this is his chance for a coming out party. This is also Ohio State's chance to show that no C.J. Stroud, no problem. But what what I'm leaning towards is you've got that inexperience at quarterback for Ohio State to a degree. Granted, the weapons around him are good, but mm-hmm. Notre Dame has more experience at all positions than this Ohio State team does. Does this Ohio State team have supreme talent? Yes, so does Notre Dame. The difference is Notre Dame's talent is a little bit more seasoned. That's why I, I'm giving them the edge. I don't know about you, but that's just me. They're at home, right? That helps too. Um, Hartman has shown he's he's just as good in this system as he was in the slow mesh. Uh, so we can put that aside. That's done. Right. Notre Dame's got a great running game, right? They're really you know popping off big runs. We saw that against NC State. So uh, they seem to be to have a complete offense. And uh, there's been some, I know I dip in the message board world sometimes. Ohio State, their defensive coordinator, Jim Knowles, used to be at Duke back in the day before he went to Oklahoma State and then Ohio State. Very strong defensive mind. That's how we got this job. But there's some, like, eh, uneasiness about that defense that that they, you know, uh, uh, this this will help either ease those concerns or amplify them, make them worse, exacerbate them. So uh, we'll see how that goes. But, uh, yeah, I'm hoping – you know, my game is at 3.30, the Duke-UConn uh, game. Hoping that'll be a quick one I can get out and uh, and catch at least the second half of Notre Dame and, and Ohio State because uh, guys like me, Ohio State, I have not had uh, in my top two or three. They've been fourth or fifth. Okay, here's your chance. You want to move up? You win this game. Notre Dame, I've been steadily moving up. I had them in the mid-teens uh, preseason, and they've moved up to, I think, number eight in my ballot. Uh, this is their chance to, to be in the top five. So, that's the great thing about this game. And see, that's that's the other th- cool thing about having you on the program is you look at all six of these games, you're looking at all six of these games as either opportunities for these teams to move up or potential opportunities for regression for a lot of these teams. So you're looking at it for, for Notre Dame. All right, here's your chance to prove to me that you should be in the top five to Ohio State. I'm still a little iffy on some parts of your team. And you're right about the defense. If you look back at that WKU game on uh, last Saturday, it was 14 to 10 with eight minutes to go in the second quarter. Western Kentucky went for it in their own territory on three straight fourth downs. And on three of those four possessions are three of the four possessions on which Ohio State scored touchdowns. So short fields... Ohio State scores four touchdowns in eight minutes only because they had to go a maximum of like 45 yards to score them. Western Kentucky's offense was pretty moving the ball pretty well uh, against this Ohio State defense. Granted, they play a much higher tempo than a Notre Dame does, but I'm looking at the weapons that Notre Dame has. I'm looking at the experience that Sam Hartman has, and I'm looking at Sam Hartman also feeling like he still feels like he's got something to prove that he can play in an offense like this. And this is the big, the big stage, right? The Saturday night primetime game, uh, two top 10 teams. Game day is there this weekend. Uh, so it's all there for him. And it's a stage, frankly, that he didn't get much at Wake Forest, right? right. So 
Um, that this is why he's at Notre Dame. That and the NIL money, but you know, this is <laughs> from a football point of view, this is why he's at Notre Dame. So this is this chance to show it. You're absolutely right. Steve, we love the insight. We appreciate it so much. Thanks for coming on each and every week. And uh we will definitely have you on next week to to recap these uh mammoth matchups here on this Saturday. Absolutely. It'll be fun. Thank you. Uh, when we come back from the break, Will Higdon and Josh Scott will join us for, I don't know how much of our audience watches Seinfeld, but they're Panthers fans uh, and they'd like to air grievances. So we will have a Panther fan festivus for the rest of us uh, after this of us. <laughs> Welcome back to The Score with Brett Wiseman here on TobaccoRoadSportsRadio.com. Welcome back to The Score with Brett Wiseman here on Tobacco Road Sports Radio, TobaccoRoadSportsRadio.com. Before we uh, continue on with our segment, which Josh Scott and Will Higdon are joining us for, uh, I will say I own all my Packers takes and, uh, you know, various boasting from a week ago. Uh, I was handed a nice slice of humble pie, uh, although none of it was Jordan Love's fault. I would like to remind you that he is third in a line of famous Packers quarterbacks and that this very cool shirt um, bears the name of my namesake. Anyways, the point of this segment, as Josh and Will join us as Panthers fans, is, and I don't know how much of our listening audience has watched Seinfeld, but the point of this segment, and we're going to get to the rest of the NFL at some point if we get to it, the point of this segment is... We're going to have a Panther fan festivus for the rest of us, if you will. Uh, and an airing of grievances from Panthers fans, Josh Scott and Will Higdon, hopefully will be of a more mentally sane and stable variety uh, than that of Panthers Twitter, which is, as a whole, panicking greatly. The other portion of this segment is going to be, we're going to play a game called Panther Panic or Panther Patience. And we're going to use all our plosive letters in this segment where we talk about the Panther. <laughs> so, we'll start with Josh. Air your greases. Oh, boy. Where to start? Um, well, I just want to start with this. It's only week two. Or week three now, it is. We are still early in the season. There is a lot of season left. A lot of things could happen with this team. A lot of good things could happen. But a lot of bad things have happened with this team. And it's definitely shown mostly on the offensive side of the football. Bryce Young, when given time, can make plays. Not a lot of them downfield plays. But when he's had time, he has been able to make something happen. Now, as we're recording this, it's doubtful that he's going to play against the Seattle Seahawks on Sunday afternoon with an ankle injury. You look at the defensive side of the football, injuries galore. Two of, are one of them a captain, the other 
the best, arguably, secondary player that this Panthers team has, and J.C. Horn injured for the foreseeable future. Shaq Thompson, the captain of the defense, out for the rest of the year with an ankle injury he sustained on Monday night. And then you go back to the offensive side of the football, left guard Brady Christensen out for the season with a bicep injury. Things aren't looking good for the Panthers to start this season. And it's extremely frustrating. You know, the, the offensive play calling hasn't been great. You, 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 you take away the fact that Bryce Young is a rookie. You take away the fact that, you know, uh, this is a new offense. Adam Thielen, DJ Chark, Hayden Hurst, Miles Sanders. I mean, lots of new names on this team. And people are going after the coaching staff. The same people that praised this coaching staff and it being acquired during the offseason. A lot of those same people are going after Frank Reich, saying that his offensive play calling is, too, is quote, too vanilla. Thomas Brown as well. Let me, let me, let me, let me tell you all something. It's week two. It's week two. This is the first time, first season, that Frank Reich has been the head coach of this Panthers team. I'm cutting him some slack. Week three is what we are on right now. Same for Bryce Young. Again, he's a rookie. Let's cut him some slack as well as for the rest of the offense. But um, it's been, it's been a tough opening to the season. I'll acknowledge that, but I am, uh, you know, uh, alluding to what you were saying earlier, Brad, I'm going with the Panther patience. I'm not giving up on this team yet, but it is, I will say, Will, uh, very hard to acknowledge the fact that this has not been the best start to the season we've had. Yeah. Uh, Definitely agree with everything you said. Uh, I just want to – any if I ever said on this show that the Panthers could get 10 wins this year, I just want might want to retract my statement. This is a, a, a building – For the record, you did, but all three of no. us also said that. So we'll, we'll all collectively as a whole wear that. But. We'll pull out all of our receipts and share them together. That's what we'll do. But, yeah, I just want to retract that statement. The, the thing I'm looking for this year is just Bryce's development. I don't worry about the record. I just want to see him grow as a passer and really grow into that role of being a franchise quarterback. Now, I think um, I don't think this team is putting him in the best position to succeed right off the bat. I mean, we're already down two starters on the O-line right now. One of them's done for the year. The other one should come back in a couple weeks, hopefully, with Austin Corbett coming back. But I was watching uh, the quarterback school on YouTube today, and it's like, I mean, all these plays, the receivers, like, where do you want him to go with the ball? No one is getting open. Even when he has time, there's no separation from pretty much any of them. And it's abundantly clear when you watch the film, especially from the Saints game, he hits the top of his drop and he goes through his reads and they're all blanketed. And it's it's not really something you can fix right now is the big concern. So, so let, me, let me butt in and ask you this. If that's happening consistently play after play, where does the blame fall? Does it fall on play calling? Does it fall on the wide receiver coaching room? Are, are they not, you know, picking up the things during the week they're supposed to be picking up? Does it fall on the quarterback room? But, or do you just tip your hat to the coverage? But to me, blame has to fall on someone because if it wasn't a problem with the Panthers – if it was just the defense is giving us what they're giving us and we can't figure it out, if that was the case, 
it wouldn't be happening on every single play, at least in my mind. Well, I think the thing is, is that going into the year, every, every one of the national media said, oh, this receiving group is not good. It's in the, like the bottom five or six in the NFL. And, of course, us as Panther fans like, nah, man, they're actually they're not that bad. Well, I, I think they might actually be that bad. Like it, You can scheme around all you want. You can play call, have great play calls all you want. At the end of the day, the players have to go out there and actually make the plays and get open. And if they're not getting open, then there's – there's not much you can really do. I mean, even even in the running game, we're down two of our two of our guards. So, and we have Miles Sanders, who Miles Sanders' strength is in waiting for the holes to open up and then be able to burst through them. And if the holes aren't opening up, then we're we don't have much luck there either. And two things I want to add to that, Brett. You know, uh, the first thing is if the Panthers continue to do as bad as they're doing, remember, I know it's. The draft is a little far away, April of next year, but the Panthers don't have a first-round draft pick. They gave that to the Chicago Bears after trading up to take the number one overall pick for Bryce Young. So this is benefiting the Chicago Bears, who I'm sure we'll talk about later in the show, aren't having a great a time right now either. So, um, And number two, um, oh, I lost my train of thought. I've been raining so much. I lost my train of thought. Anyway, uh, yeah, so not not looking good for draft capital wise for the Panthers. Yeah. So we'll turn to Will. Will, are you going? Are you going Panther patience or are we Panther panicking? Uh, I'm going Panther patience right now. I mean, like Josh said, it's only week two. We're going into week three. Week three, excuse me. And there's just so much turnover on the offensive side of of the ball. It just it takes time to click. Takes time to gel. Frank Reich. The thing about Frank Reich is that. I looked at some of his past indie starts. He's always had slow starts to the season. They start slow, and then his teams rally in the second half of the year. And I think that'll be true with this Panthers team. We have some. This is the hardest part of their schedule. These next few weeks after the bye is when things start really getting easier. So I think we could look at something similar. Hopefully, with this year. I mean, and to all the people that say, "Oh, oh, just throw in the towel and tank," there's nothing to tank for. We don't have a first round pick. Nope. We're going to tank for the 33rd overall pick. And if I'm not mistaken, that pick is conditional, right? Which means that the Panthers finish like the uh, first round with pick? A certain, with a, is it conditional or is, am I wrong on that? No, I think the first retrade, it was just a standard first. There's no conditions on that one. I, I, one of the picks in there was, was conditional and move up, I think if the Panthers finished below a certain record line, I think. I don't know. We'll have to research that. But anyway, either way, it, it helps the Bears because they're getting draft picks off of this period, uh, unlike the Green Bay Packers, who will, will not be getting a first-round pick. It'll only be a second-round pick because uh, Aaron Rodgers only lasted four snaps into the season and needed to play about 600 more snaps for the Packers to get a first-round pick. With that, we move over to Andy Dalton who will be the starting quarterback for the Carolina Panthers on Sunday. Not a sentence I think in my lifetime I would hear myself utter, but here we are. Gentlemen, what do we expect from the Red Rocket? Well, I'm interested to see how the offense looks with Andy Dalton under center. I want to see if it looks better. Does it look worse? Does it look the same? If it looks better, I think maybe that bodes well for the offense in the future when Bryce Young gets his feet under him and develops more that the offense could look better with him. But if it looks worse, and that's another discussion. If it's the same, then all right, whatever. 
But yeah, I'm just interested to see how the offense looks, especially against the Seattle defense that has some good players, but I, I definitely don't think is a top 10 unit in, in, in the NFL right now. I'm not expecting much from him, to be honest with you, Brett. You know, I the last time we went to Seattle was last season, late in the season, and, and didn't expect much either. The Panthers came out and won the game. I don't think that's going to happen this time around. I think Andy Dalton is, you know, someone that can play at a high level, but I just don't see that happening against a very hostile Seattle Seahawks crowd in Washington. Um, you know, the, the 12th man has been historically intimidating when, you know, teams have visited that stadium. But, you know, as for Andy Dalton, I think he'll do an okay job, but I don't think it'll be good enough for him specifically to carry the Panthers, especially the offense, to a W on Sunday. I, I just don't see that happening. Let, let's say hypothetically, the chances of this are slim to none, but let's say hypothetically, Andy Dalton just goes out there on Sunday and, and just balls. He's he's a guy. He just has himself a day. He gets the graphic on the NFL Twitter. Have a day, Andy Dalton. He just goes out there and absolutely shoves. Do we come back next week if Bryce Young is healthy and is Andy Dalton still the starter? What I guess what I'm asking is, does Andy Dalton have it in him? Does the possibility exist that he could play so well he could take the job? No, no way. <laughs> I mean, Bryce is the franchise. You traded DJ Moore, you traded the first next year. The only way he's going to play, he's going to get better, is to play and learn and grow. And keeping, even if Andy Dalton plays really well, keeping him in the game is just going to kind of stunt Bryce's development at this point. So I, I would I would still roll with Bryce even if Andy Dalton plays well. Yeah, you don't trade that much just to for that person to sit, especially if he's in the number one overall pick. And I mean, I'll be happy for Andy Dalton if he helps us get a win on Sunday. That'll be awesome. You know, wins a win, no matter who's playing at quarterback for your football team. But I do think that you know there will be haters as there are with everything and with every player that will say, "Oh, Bryce Young was a fluke. Look at Andy Dalton. He's out there." balling out but that's going to be a very small group of people in my opinion and i think that the front office for this carolina panthers team is smart enough to roll with the person that they gave so much up for last april to go up and and and, and draft him at number one overall and i agree with well i think bryce young once he's healthy and 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 we don't know how long he's going to be out with this ankle injury you know we, we don't really know the severity of it at least at this point as we're recording this so you know he could be out for one or two weeks he could be out for the next two or three games or maybe even longer so you, you never really know with ankle injuries so but when Bryce Young is fully healthy whenever that is I think he'll be back on the football field and number nine will be leading the offense like originally planned for this Panthers team and coaching staff that question being our final message to Panthers Twitter um, is that we ourselves are rational. Those two are rational Panthers fans. I'm a Packers fan who's a rational observer who happens to live in this state, and I'm not paranoid, nor am I panicking. Um, we're collectively, that last question was, don't even get the thought in your head. People are going to get the thought in their head, but it's not going to happen. All right, we're just going to squash that bug right now before it even leaks out any further. So 
Stop it. Get some help. <laughs> no more. Let's move to the uh, rest of your division, which also intertwines with my team's division because the NFC North and the NFC South play each other or pitted against each other this season. Um, we saw the Falcons have a good defensive day against the Panthers, have an okay defensive day against the Packers. Uh, the Packers played three quarters of really good football and then decided to take an afternoon nap in the fourth quarter and blew a two-score lead. Uh, and Jordan Love decided to call out one thing and the other ten guys on the field heard a different thing. That aside, the Saints defense, as a Packers fan, I'm a little concerned. Because I don't think I gave this Saints defense, this Saints team, enough credit. I called them old. I said Derek Carr was washed. Yada, yada. He's gone out there and balled in both games. Granted, the Carolina game, he was okay. Somehow they have a running game. Taysom Hill's basically just RB1 at this point until Alvin Kamara gets back. Uh, Derek Carr's doing all this without, uh, you know, a, a top weapon. Uh, still, Michael Thomas is in and out. He's still got Olave. Jimmy Graham's back there. But I didn't really give enough credit to this defense because of how old it is. And all these old geezers are out here. Seventh best pass defense in the NFL. They have like nine sacks already. Uh, these you know retirement home guys are out here just having games. And it's Jordan Love's first start at home, period. Other than in the preseason. Not just first start as the starter, because his only other one came on the road. This is his first start at home period, in a regular season game. So, maybe nerves, maybe jitters, a little bit. Also, the Saints defense, David Bakhtiari is probably not going to play. Elton Jenkins, not going to play. Sprained his MCL. So, you're down 2-0 linemen against a top five pass rush in the league with a potentially jittery quarterback. I'm very concerned. Am, am I wrong in that? Am I panicking? Am I paranoid? Am I rational for thinking that? Help. Definitely look for Cameron Jordan to line up on that left side. That's all I'll say. And then, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's it's kind of funny. Everyone said the NFC South was the worst division in football, yet every team is 2-0 and except the Panthers. So it goes to show what people know. And how ironic that the NFC uh, East was in that same spot a couple years ago. And now, look, they're one of the top divisions in football, arguably. So interesting how the tides turn there. But, yeah, I agree with, well, Cam Jordan will be somebody to keep an eye on. I mean, he's been playing with the Saints his entire career. He'll probably end his career in New Orleans. And uh, also, Demario Davis is the real deal. The Saints linebacker uh, who yeah. gave a great story on Twitter about him and his daughter, by the way. That was awesome. Loved that. Um, he's the real deal. Uh, he had a, he had ten total tackles, I believe. Will, if I'm not mistaken, against this, the Panthers on Monday night. I think he's um, the one that had the strip sack on Bryce. Yes, too. that's true. Yes, yes. he's he's the real deal. So, um, yeah, I I didn't give the Saints enough credit either on Monday night for how good their defense is. I knew they would be. I, I predicted they would be in the running for the division in the NFC South. Um, you know, with the Panthers, but and then uh, you know, briefly going back to Atlanta too. As much as I despise the Atlanta Falcons. I will go on here to say that their defense has gotten better. 
Well, then you look at Tampa Bay. And we've only got about a minute left in this segment, which is all the time Baker Mayfield really deserves us to spend oxygen on. But I don't even know whether this is a fluke or if Baker Mayfield's going to come down to earth. I'm leaning towards coming back down to earth because he has not played this well anywhere since Cleveland. And we know how that ended. I'm, I'm pumping the brakes on this being a rousing success for Tampa Bay. Hard. Yeah, they do play the Eagles on Monday night, so we'll see just how good they are in that game. If they come out, there's your reality with, check, Baker. Yeah, if they come out with a win on that game, bro, I'll be like, all right, all right, you have my attention. Yeah. But if they lose, I'll be like, all right, you back down to earth. See, here's here's where this is going to go from that game Monday night. It's either going to be hmm, raised eyebrows kind of thing, or it's going to be that Dennis Green press conference. They are who we thought they were, and we let them off the hook. It's going to be I'll one of say, those two ends of the spectrum. I'll just say this about Baker. Where was this Baker Mayfield when he was playing for my Carolina Panthers? That's all I'm uh, going to say. Thank you. Uh, I'll leave two, it at that. Two, two words, Matt Rule. That's all I'll say. <laughs> 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 two words. Hey, he's, he's, he's got a point. He's got a point there. Okay, we're going we're gonna to take a timeout. When we come back, we haven't talked about NASCAR in a couple weeks. Round of 12 kicking off this weekend in Texas. We'll talk about it right after this. Welcome back to The Score with Brett Wiseman here on TobaccoRoadSportsRadio.com. Here one final time on the score for Wiseman on Tobacco Road Sports Radio, TobaccoRoadSportsRadio.com. That's Will Higdon. That's Josh Scott. I'm Brad Wiseman. Let's talk NASCAR. Round of 16's in the books. And as a avid Joey Logano disliker, I definitely played the Crab Rave song when he was unofficially officially eliminated at Bristol. Yeah, I was I was very much a fan of that. But I want to bring up the guy before we get into the field as a whole, the guy that, to many, squeaked in, or it was rigged for him to get into the round of 12. Uh, those are the people on Facebook that all have the same tw- group of 12, same profile pictures. The F-150 Facebook. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That Those those people, yeah. The, those are the people that say Bubba Wallace didn't earn the spot. I'm sorry. Did you watch any race at all? But you drive F-150s because you have an IQ of 10. That and the... Bubba Wallace was what, like 120 (laughs) points below the cut line before he got into the... Before the race started? Yeah, yeah. Did did you guys just tune in with 40 to go and see him there and be like, they had to fail wrecked in front of him. Stop it, Boomhauer. He's in the round of 12. Get over it. Come. Can we please, for once, defend the guy for being a good race car driver? And you got to give him Help credit. Help me to, out here. Yeah, you got to give him credit to pointing his way into the playoffs, too. He had he had three road courses in the last few weeks of the regular season and survived Daytona. Got to give credit where it's due. He deserves to be in the, in the round of 12. Thank you. That's all I needed to hear. 
Thank you. Uh, I'm hearing from the uh, other group some crickets. Silence speaks volumes. Bill, Ted, Ron, Jim, you and your Nike Air Monarch backyard yeah. barbecue five shoes. J Josh, go ahead. I'll say this, steering away from the F-150 Twitter, that was hilarious. Well, I, I, I will acknowledge you that. That was hilarious. Um, for those on YouTube, you saw my just complete meltdown and laughter. That was yeah, awesome. Josh turned into that. Josh's face got about as red as Bob the Tomato right there. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't get that red very often. Congratulations, Mr. Mr. Higgins. Um, going back to Bubba, though, uh, you know, 2311 racing as a whole has gotten much better from its – beginning season two years ago to this year and you know Bubba I think has gotten much more consistent that's why he's been able to you know point his way in and and, and gather as many points as he's had the last few races to Will uh, to Will's point but you know you also got to look at that other team that 45 car Tyler Reddick I mean yeah. we've seen him have speed all season but the 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 thing that has hurt him the most is being able to finish races. That's where we've seen him struggle, whether it's a mechanical failure, whether it's a crash, whether it's getting caught up in somebody else's mess. Tyler Reddick. And we saw that a, a lot with him at RCR, too, before he moved yes. over to 2311 this past year, whether it was one of the issues you talked about or he was too aggressive it's almost like the, the, the people that he's around at 2311 are doing a much better job of honing him in and saying, hey, it's more important to get to the end of the thing than anything else. And you saw what happened when he got to the end of the race at Kansas, pulled that three-wide move coming to the white flag. Oh, my goodness. That was that one of the most incredible. incredible passes that I've seen all season long. So once Tyler Reddick is able to finish races – He's dangerous, and he's on to the he, – he, he was the second driver to punch his ticket to the round of 12. And I don't think a lot of people expected Tyler Reddick to move on to the round of 12. I remember seeing one guy on YouTube who didn't have him going past the round of 16. So uh, Tyler Reddick, again, I, I think he's had speed all year. He just hasn't been able to finish races. He's been able to finish these first three playoff races, and if he continues to do that, that 45 car could be dangerous and make a very deep and unexpected playoff run. But again, kudos to 2311 Racing. They they have improved dramatically in the last year from the 45 to Reddick and the 23 above the Wallace. Let's give credit to them, and let's give credit to RFK, too. That That's a third of this playoff field that two teams, nobody really had any expectations for coming into the season. Now, each of those teams makes up a third of the playoff field. Not Hendrick, not JGR. A third of the playoff field is two RFK cars and two 2311 cars. Not uh, Brad Keselowski. Not, no. Brad has done a fantastic job all this year, but it's not really him as far as on the track. Chris Busher is the one that's carrying that flag on the track. I mean, he is impressed the heck out of everybody, and now he's going into the round of 12. He's going to his home track in Texas. Rick Allen is very fond of Prosper, Texas. Prosper, Texas! <laughs> well, if there was Rick, ever a time, Chris Busher, it's now. Can you say playoff you gotta win the, you're, literally, you're literally required to win this race. 
just so we can hear Rick Allen on NBC or USA, wherever the race is, just have an absolute aneurysm over the fact that Chris Buescher is indeed from Texas and is about to win a race <laughs> in Texas. Like, I'm envisioning it now. Rick Allen is, like, having a stroke, and then Dale Jr. is going to have to take over play-by-play -play of the race because Rick literally physically cannot handle it. It's one of those images you can just hear in your mind. <laughs> it makes me or, think you know, of... Like, um, I was just going to say real quick, it makes me think, I don't know if y'all saw NASCAR sarcasms uh, video <laughs> he compiled together of Rick Allen saying Prosper, Texas. Yeah, and the beat with Chris <laughs> Buescher. I don't know if that got played during the Bristol Night Race driver intros or not. I don't that think hilarious. that was his walkout song, but it, it really should have been. <laughs> it should have been. It's one of those things you can hear. On. There's a couple of things that we can almost guarantee on the broadcast of the race, which is uh, – and over under on five, take the over, of Rick Allen mentioning that Chris Buescher is indeed from Prosper, Texas. Uh, and every time there's a crash, you will hear Dale Jr. go, Whoa! Uh, car in the wall! Oh! <laughs> oh, he's in the wall! Whoa! NASCAR uh, NBC Dale. bingo. Playoff oh. implications, car in the wall. Well, what else we got? <laughs> if I if I had a nickel for every time Steve Letarte has said, "Oh, playoff implications," Steve, BJ McLeod's right rear tire bouncing across pit road is not a playoff implication. Dude just sold his charter. Okay, let's calm down a little bit there. Okay, a little bit of time left. We got we got a little bit off track. Uh, we went on the road course at Texas in the infield, so now we got to get back onto the oval here. Um, Chris Buescher is my pick, simply for the uh, uh, aesthetic please that it would bring. Uh, but I'm not going to say there's desperate guys the first race of this round, but the guys that just barely made it in, Bubba, Truex, etc., the guys that are below the new cut line, so to speak, the last four to make it in to this round are the first four that are right now out of the next one. So one would think those guys have to race a little bit differently than the ones who are in, in a good spot. But that's the thing about this format is no one can race carefully. No one can also, no one can race too aggressively. So for me, I don't know about you guys, but for me, Yes, Chris Busher's my pick, but it also comes down to who's going to find the best happy medium here. Because no one knows exactly how desperate they need to be, and no one knows exactly how aggressive they need to be. Somebody's going to have to find that happy medium and, and just get to the end of it because we know how wild this track can be. Yeah, I, I, I wouldn't say I wouldn't say they're going to be insanely aggressive. I mean, it's only the first race of this round and the standings are already pretty tight, pretty tight towards the bottom. So I don't think they'll be that aggressive, but I definitely think they'll prioritize at least getting stage points and try to make up some of the ground, especially if they're near the bottom of that round of 12 point standings. Yeah, definitely. Points will be important as they have been all season long and going into the playoffs and um, I'm I'm willing to make a prediction here uh, for Sunday's winner. I don't know why, but I'm itching to to scratch that itch that has Ross Chastain on it. Ross Chastain 
is one of those drivers that you mentioned, Brett, that's below the cut line. He's been good on the mile and a halfs, and when he's backed into a corner, we've seen him, you know, do what it takes to make the next round, including ride the entire wall of turn three and four at Martinsville. You know, something tells me Ross Chastain might be in a good spot here if he has a good qualifying effort, qualifies up front, you know, they bring speed. And, you know, we haven't really heard much about Trackhouse lately. We've been giving praise to 2311 Racing. They Both of those teams came in at the same time. Trackhouse had such a great start to the season, including bringing in Shane Van Gisbergen, who won at Chicago. So, you know, and, and the last time we swear at Texas, Ross Chastain nearly flipped. So I think uh, he wants that to put true. that out of his mind and uh, go on, go to race on Sunday and potentially go out and get the win. I think he can do it. Look, when life gives Ross Chastain lemons, he turns them into melons. With that, we will say uh, good evening, good afternoon, and good night here from our The Score broadcast studios. For Will Higdon and Josh Scott, I'm Brett Wiseman. Enjoy your college football, NFL, NASCAR, baseball pennant race, NHL preseason. Yes, hockey is happening weekend. We'll see you later. <laughs>